So, as you guys know, um, oftentimes for our sermons, uh, me and the preaching team, we get together and we'll plan out series of various types. We'll, we'll go through a book of the Bible, we'll uh, have a topic. But then, of course, um, when I'm not in the pulpit or kind of in in-between seasons, we have guest preachers. All, 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 it's kind of a dialogue to say, what are the preachers going to speak about on any um, given Sunday? And so, you've heard some more or less standalone sermons these last couple Sundays, and as I was uh, talking with Dr. Groteis, getting ready for this Sunday, he said, hey, Carl, um, you might not know this, but today it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I'd like to preach on the sanctity of human life according to Scripture. And I thought to myself, well, that's a topic that, you know, um, can cause some, uh, you know, some, some discussions to happen in various circles, uh, but that, for certain, is a biblical topic that God's people uh, must hear on and think on. So um, I'm just going to acknowledge something, Uh, especially here in the covenant. We're a big, diverse group of people. We have different thoughts and different opinions and different backgrounds and different ideas. Um, So I want to invite you to spend this morning listening for the voice of God, however he might be speaking. I know he's speaking. I don't know what he's saying to each and every person, but we're here to put ourselves before God's word together. And I can't think of somebody uh, better suited to speak than um, our preacher this morning. I first met Dr. Groteis when I started at Denver Seminary a number of years ago. He's taught there for over 20 years. He's an incredible scholar. He's published dozens of articles and uh, many books. But on top of his excellent as an educator and the way that I was impacted by him as a student in his philosophy classes, um, he's also an incredibly compassionate man who knows how to be the presence of God to others. I personally have also benefited from sitting in his office with him and receiving counsel and guidance and prayer. He actually even prayed for me just this morning, right when we walked in the door. He is a faithful man of word and prayer. So Doug, would you come on up? And I'd love to um, pray for you right now uh, as we prepare to go into God's word together. Would you pray with me? God, as we've said multiple times, we're here to be formed by you. You gave us your scripture. You spoke so that your words might give us life. Help us now to submit ourselves to the teaching of your word, to hear your voice. Uh, And we pray with all the thought and preparation that Doug has put into this morning that your spirit would be present and active in him and through him as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, My first wife and I, Becky, attended this church for a number of years, a long time ago, and uh, she is now with the Lord. It's good to see familiar faces or familiar half faces. It's a little hard if I haven't seen you in 20 years to only see the eyes, so if I missed anybody, (laughs) I'm sorry. Please um, reintroduce yourself. It's also good to know that at least one week out of every several years, Carl still studies. Um, I think he did that in seminary, too. It was like a week, a week out of the year he would hit the books. But pastors do need study time, and they need leave time. Uh, pastors burn out very easily, so take care of your pastor. He needs a lot of prayer. Every pastor needs a lot of prayer. So the title of my message is Affirming the Sanctity of Life. And as I walked in, I saw some familiar faces or half-faces, and I saw some people I'd never met before. 
So even if I don't know you personally, I already know you because of Scripture. I know that every human being in this room is made in the image and likeness of God. So I know really the deepest thing about you without having ever met you. On January 22, 1984, then President Ronald Reagan issued Proclamation 5147, calling for a National Sanctity of Life Day. And that has been commemorated since in many churches. It's usually the third Sunday in January. And I'd like to speak to that topic today. First of all, we have to start with some bad news, looking at our broken, fragmented, wounded, rebellious world, and ask how are human beings who bear the image and likeness of God treated in our world? Sadly, many human beings are being trashed around the planet. I'm going to talk about two main areas, human trafficking and then abortion. Human trafficking is modern slavery. It is extensive and horrible. Let me give you some statistics that my friend Kendis Paris gave me, who is the head of a ministry called Truckers Against Trafficking. We'll talk more about that in a moment. There are over 40 million victims of human trafficking globally. 40 million. Human trafficking generates $150 billion in profits annually and is occurring in all 50 states. Thousands of children are at risk of being victimized in the U.S. each year, and victims are disproportionately women and girls of color. A victim can be forced to have sex that is, is raped up to 20 times a day. In the last five years, 41% of the cases truckers have reported to Truckers Against Trafficking hotline have involved minors. Secondly, abortion on demand is the situation we face in the United States. We have for many years now. Since 1973, with the Roe v. Wade decision in the Supreme Court, over 60 million human beings have been legally killed through abortion. That is a huge number. That's not quite one-fifth of the population of the United States. Federal money, our tax money now supports abortion. In Colorado, abortion is legal up until birth. Warren Hearn in Boulder has performed thousands of late-term abortions. It is his specialty in butchery. Many of these babies are viable. <clears throat> and all of them are made in the image and likeness of God. So having started in a rather grim way, I'd like to talk about the value of human life, the divine command not to murder and to honor life, and then talk about the consequences of these truths for our lives. First of all, we are unique among the living because we are made in the image and likeness of God. God breathed his spirit upon us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is sometimes called the creation mandate. So God created the world and said it was good, and after he created human beings, said it was very good, but the work wasn't done. We were put here to develop culture, to thrive in relationships, to worship God. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Notice the repetition. God wants us to understand that his work in creating human beings is special, is pivotal for his work on earth. So what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? It means many things, but first of all, just think of the idea of an image. An image reflects, reflects something. So human beings reflect God. God is a perfect being, perfect in power and goodness and knowledge, and he is unlimited. But he created us in his image and likeness as limited beings, but we too have at least some knowledge, some power, and we were created as good. But of course, we see in Genesis 3 that human beings committed sin, rebelled against God, and we now live in a fallen world. Part of being made in God's image and likeness is our ability to reason, to relate to one another. Just as God as a trinity relates, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we were made to relate and love and minister to one another. We have an emotional life, and we can form culture given our abilities as the image bearers of God. Now, while I've talked about being made in the image and likeness of God in terms of certain qualities or aptitudes. I want to emphasize that these qualities or aptitudes come out of a human nature or a human essence. It's not that you have to have a certain level of intelligence or level of relational skill to become a human being with, in, with intrinsic value. You are that simply by virtue of existing, you have been a human being made in the image and likeness of God since conception. That is the biblical teaching. All human beings bear the, God, the divine image irrespective of whatever abilities they may have, irrespective of their quality of life, their contribution to society, their race, their class, their age, their gender, their abilities, whatever it is. This is a fundamental fact about human existence in God's world. And from that fact, we derive moral wisdom and we find the moral imperative, as I'll show, not to commit murder. Now, as I said, we are human beings from day one, and I don't mean birth, I mean from conception, because a new unique being comes into being at that point, scientifically with a complete genetic code, philosophically with a human nature, and a human nature that will eventually bear the qualities of rationality, relationality, and so on, or not. But you are a human being. 
and this begins from the beginning. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. David is praying, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God was active in that young life developing. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So from the fact of God's working in his mother's womb, David says, I praise you for this. So every human being, whatever level of ability, race, color, creed, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, we bear certain rights. We have the intrinsic God-given right not to be murdered. That's the negative way to put it, but the positive way is to say that human life should be supported. We should encourage fellow human beings to flourish, to love one another, to use their abilities, to love God, to come to Christ as Savior and Lord. So if you'll excuse an old philosopher using philosophical term, and I'm sure the signer will appreciate this, (laughs) The image of God, you could say, is the factual fulcrum of ethics. It's the center point of ethics, okay? Every moral issue we face somehow relates to human beings having that unique and irreducible value as being made in the image and likeness of God. Of course, I can't develop all that. But I'm going to try to summarize this by a contrast, and that is we have biblically... On the one hand, the sanctity of human life based on the uniqueness of being God's special creatures. On the other hand, there's another ethic, which is humanistic, not godly, which is secular, not biblical, called the quality of life ethic. Now, there's nothing wrong, I already said it, that we want people to flourish, to thrive, to love each other. We want people to have a good quality of life. But I mean this in a different sense. Some people think that you have to have a certain level of ability or a certain level of attainment in life to qualify as a human being with intrinsic rights. So people will say, the newly conceived human being doesn't have a right to life. Or you don't have a right to life if you're profoundly handicapped. So sadly, tragically, and disgustingly today, many children, unborn children with Downs, Down syndrome, are aborted. Because the idea is we don't want to have to deal with people like that, or we might think that it would be, they would be better off dead, honestly. That's what some people think. But we have to remember that whoever we are, whatever our abilities are, we are made in the image and likeness of God. That is a settled fact. You might say that's a foundation for our moral lives. That's where we get our moral bearings. I'm just going crazy with metaphors. That's our framework for how we approach life. So we have the sanctity of life or this quality of life Whereas people have value only to the degree that they have certain qualities, like 
viability or intelligence or relational ability or their genetics are right, something like that. We want to deny that. We have a moral absolute here about the value of human life. So let's look at this commandment that we have. It's very straightforward. We know that God is the source of moral reality and of proper judgment. God is good in the way that a triangle has three sides. God is necessarily good. He is the source and the standard, the stipulator of all that is good. And he gives us through scripture and through guidance by the Holy Spirit, moral discernment. So I'm going to go to Genesis, or rather to Exodus 20, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And then I'll go to the sixth commandment. And the Lord spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now he's saying that to the children of Israel. But the same principle of grace applies to us. He brought us out of the slave market of sin. He brought us out of the captivity to the devil by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is in a position to instruct us, to be our teacher, more to be our commander. So we go down to verse 13. You shall not murder. Well, why not? Because human beings bear the image and likeness of God. And if you murder someone, it's like killing God in effigy. Think about that. Now, the one true creator, God, of course, is eternal, cannot be killed, but human beings are finite and mortal, and their lives can be unjustly taken away. Let me go to a verse from James, James 3.9, that talks about the image of God with respect to ethics. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. See what he's saying? The tongue has great power, and there are these entities out there that are made in the image and likeness of God, and we curse them. And that's, of course, wrong, inappropriate. Well, how much more to treat someone made in the image and likeness of God with disrespect or to murder them or to enslave them? How much more? If it's wrong to curse people with your tongue because they bear the divine image, then even more is it sinful, wrong, really a crime in God's eyes to disrespect the unborn and to throw people into slavery. Murder is the unjust killing of a human being. So because of that, suicide is morally wrong. Because if you should not kill someone else, you should not murder yourself. Homicide is wrong. Infanticide is wrong. And we're seeing that now, where children are born through abortion and they're not killed. They live, and then they're killed because we've got to finish the abortion. This is very sadly common, and it's legal in the United States. And what we, we might call feticide, or the unjust killing of fetuses, is wrong is sinful, it denies and it defies the commandment, you shall not murder. Now, 
I want to say that with this topic, the sanctity of life, we could go in so many different directions. We could talk about the sanctity of life and loving each other in a pandemic. We could talk about the sanctity of life for those who are poor, for homeless people. We can't do everything. Carl only gave me three hours this morning. So we're going to limit it to two very pertinent, pivotal issues abortion and human trafficking. So I'm going to go into some more detail here. The basic pro-life argument is very straightforward. Murder is the unjust killing of a human being. Abortion unjustly kills a human being, except in exceptions, I think, of where the life of the mother is directly threatened, and those are sad and tragic cases. Therefore, abortion is murder, in most cases, therefore abortion is morally wrong, therefore abortion should be opposed. Now I've given you this argument based on scripture. It should appeal to all Christians who have a high view of God's word. I can also just make the argument on the basis of intrinsic human value. If you think human beings have some special standing in the world, and if you understand that you become a human at conception, then human beings should be given a special status, and be protected. Let me make some clarifications because our language about this is often confused or even obfuscated. I think sometimes people blow out clouds of confusion on purpose to justify evil. How about this question you often hear? Well, we don't know when life begins, therefore abortion should be allowed and should be legal. Yes, we do know when life begins. It begins begins a conception. That's a biological fact. You have a new organism with a new genetic code that is on its way to birth and the rest of life unless you kill it. How about this? Well, we don't know when humanity really begins. Yes, we do. Of course, humans beget humans. You're not going to have an orangutan, you know, or a dog. Humans beget humans. So it's not that we have potential life. We have life with potential. It's not that we have a potential human. We have a human with potential. I could develop this more. It's not we have a potential person. We have a person developing with potential. That's the the view we should take biblically and also philosophically. So in light of this, what are some sanctity of life action steps that we could take as followers of Jesus? First and always, prayer. We should pray with all kinds of prayers in all situations without ceasing. We pray for hearts and minds and lives to honor human beings in the womb, out of the womb, whether they're healthy, unhealthy, doesn't matter. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor, born or unborn, sick or healthy, is made in the image and likeness of God and has unique, irreplaceable, intrinsic value. We also need to offer forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ for those who have been wrongfully involved in abortion. The blood of Jesus takes away all sin. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's word from 1 John. And it's not merely women who are involved with this. Often 
men will force women or pressure women to have abortions. And you have the people who perform abortions. And some young women, a woman I know, was really pressured into having an abortion by her Christian mother and sister. So I'm trying to lay down clear principles here without any fuzziness or unclarity. But please don't take me to be somehow hard-hearted or that I don't care about people who have been wounded through abortion, who have, been, who have been forced to have abortions, or who now regret them. Christ gives forgiveness and abundant life to all who come to him. But we need to teach a strong pro-life view in the church, and I'm very pr- privileged to give this message, in schools, in the home, get the word out. The truth is on the side of the unborn. We need to factor in the sanctity of life very strongly in how we vote, the candidates that we support. We can give in terms of volunteering or giving money to various ministries. Let me mention one. This is a local ministry called Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Denver. And they have a mobile unit where they will give pregnancy tests and they will give sonograms and counsel women who are considering abortion. And if you see your baby on a sonogram and you see a human body there with the head and the hands and the feet and the nose and all that, at least if the pregnancy is that far along, it's almost impossible to deny that that is a human being with special value. And they have saved the lives of hundreds of unborn image bearers of God in their work. Recently, on Facebook, I received a notification that said, your birthday is coming up. How do they know everything about you? Anyway, they said, your birthday is coming up. Would you like to support a charity? So I plugged in Alternatives Pregnancy Center, and I gave a donation, and I challenged people to meet the donation, and we had a $500 goal, and we met it. Just by celebrating my birthday, so to speak, raised $500 for this wonderful ministry. And you don't have to wait for your birthday. I've done this before. I just, I'm really outraged about something evil and I find a ministry I think is significant and important. And uh, I go online and allow other people to give. And of course, you want to make sure it's safe. Some people don't want to give online. I understand. Write a check, whatever it is. But get creative. Make some sacrifices. These ministries need prayer They need funds. They may need volunteers. There's a national ministry that I have supported, gosh, maybe 40 years, called CareNet. And they work on many fronts to protect the unborn through education and through activism of various kinds. You can support them. You can support and encourage young mothers during and after pregnancy, maybe a young mother who's not married or doesn't have a support system. Uh, And in this fellowship, Jill Meyer's been involved with that. There's a ministry called Young Lives that is a national ministry. Uh, my, My wife's niece, Celeste, is involved with this in Anchorage, Alaska, and they provide tangible support to young mothers during pregnancy and help them learn how to raise a child. They provide financial support, material support, There are so many good and significant ministries out there that value human life. 
What about the sanctity of life against human bondage? We started with that. Human trafficking. Human trafficking violates the human value of liberty. And I'm going to read from the Declaration of Independence here because this really reflects a biblical view at this point, definitely. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And pursuit of happiness really means virtue there. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we have the right to life. We need to protect life. We need to protect unborn human beings made in the image and likeness of God. But then born people need protection. They need to have proper liberty. Put it negatively, they should not be kidnapped. They should not be enslaved. They should not be coerced into sexual activity. Here's a text from the case law. In Exodus, Exodus 21:16, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Now, this is part of the Mosaic case law. I'm not saying we now impose the death penalty on kidnapping, but this is clearly wrong. You're taking away someone's liberty to try to pursue life. It's evil. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11 says that slave traders, slave traders are, get this, lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinful, and irreligious. Who says the Bible supports slavery? So human trafficking is a horrible, widespread form of rape and kidnapping. Now, what can be done here? We often feel overwhelmed. I was on a podcast recently, and the interviewer said, I was talking to a young adult recently, and young adults, all of us, are really just flooded with so much information about the horrors and the evils and the problems in the world, and people can get overwhelmed. And this young woman told her, because I can't help everyone I'm not going to do anything. And I said, that's a little bit like saying, because I can't eat everything, I won't eat anything. You can do something in your sphere of life. You can make a difference in one area or several areas of life. So, again, with respect to human trafficking, I start with prayer. All kinds of prayers on all occasions without ceasing for anti-trafficking ministries, for girls to be educated, to not be exposed to this, Uh, prayer for the truckers who can inform the police about this kind of activity going on. As I mentioned, there's a local ministry headed by a friend of mine and graduate of Denver Seminary, Candace Paris, called Truckers Against Trafficking. And if the truckers are aware of how trafficking occurs along their routes, They can report suspicious activity. They can do a tremendous amount of good. Pray for that ministry. Consider giving to that ministry, volunteering to that ministry. It's very powerful. Another way to do this is through a denominational initiative with the Covenant, which is called FREE, F-R-E-E, and you can go to the 
Covenant Church webpage to take a look at that as an anti-sex trafficking ministry. There are so many ways to contribute to the sanctity of life ethic as opposed to this quality of life ethic. We believe on the basis of scripture that human beings bear unique and irreplaceable value in the world. It is God-given, and it cannot be taken away by any human being. It is our responsibility to notice it and to respect it and to act in accordance with the fact that human beings bear the divine image. We are unique among the living. That is a fact which cannot be taken away by any opinion poll, any book, any article, any tweet, any Facebook post. It's a fact of reality based on God's word, based on the character of God himself. And God is the great commander. He's in the position to tell us what is right, what is wrong, what is healthy, what is unhealthy. And God says, look, I delivered you out of Egypt. I am a God of creation and grace and redemption. And I am telling you, you must not murder. And if you don't murder, then underneath that is the positive, the affirmative value of pursuing life, of choosing life, as Deuteronomy puts it. Therefore, choose life. And choosing life means not supporting abortion. It means being against human trafficking, but it means supporting young mothers. It means ministering to young women so they're not trafficked. I have a friend who was a student at Denver Seminary who was trafficked. Unbelievable, the things that happened to her. But God is a God of redemption, and he took her out of that. And she now is a ministry warning people about this in a variety of venues. And God is healing her and blessing her. She's very happily married to a, a godly man. I know both of them. I've had them both in my home. And their dog, too. That's, that's how I do things with people. So God redeems situations. And it's good to support these ministries and to pray without ceasing in all kinds of situations for hearts, minds, and laws to reflect the realities of existence, who we are, how human beings should be treated with dignity and respect. Therefore, I focused in this message only on two issues, but what tremendous consequential issues. Abortion and human trafficking. There have been way over 60 million legal abortions in the United States. As I said, in Colorado, abortion is legal right up until birth. So that means if the baby is viable, we have infanticide. Legal here and across the country. We need to pray that will change. And there is human trafficking in all 50 states. It's a multi-billion dollar industry industry based on sin and the degradation of human beings whom God loves. So we need to take action. Let God lead you in whatever area you can flourish in. For me, it's a lot of teaching, preaching, financial giving, trying to support in every way that I can. 
Ask God how you can honor the sanctity of human life, not just on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but every day, every hour, every minute, in the power and strength of God. So let me conclude with prayer. Lord, we ask that we would recognize you as creator, that you have created us, you have knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We also know that you are the defender of the defenseless, and you've called us to not murder and to choose life. So Lord, please equip us in terms of these truths and lead us by the Holy Spirit in all these areas. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.